If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on September 8th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, another massive prospect promotion. Ryan Pepio took a perfect game into the seventh inning. Way too early 2024 mock draft thoughts and our week 25 preview. Before we get started, help us out by liking this video and subscribing on YouTube if you haven't already. And don't unsubscribe either because we're still... Here, five days a week, we're hanging out. We're going to have a bunch of awesome off-season content as well, so make sure to stick around. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Let's kick things off. Yesterday, we got the announcement on Jordan Lawler joining the Diamondbacks, and today we get the Rangers promoting their top prospect, Evan Carter. Actually comes with a bit of bad news because the Rangers find themselves in need of an outfielder as Adolis Garcia was placed in the IL with a right patellar tendon strain. Top eight outfielder in both head-to-head points leagues and Roto. So pretty big loss for fantasy, but let's focus on Evan Carter for now. He's considered a top 10 prospect in all of baseball, 21 years old, former second round pick back in 2020. This year in the minors was batting 288, 13 homers, 26 steals in 863 OPS across three different levels. Scott, I've talked way too much. You get your chance. Tell me about Evan Carter. He is 20% rostered on CBS. He has a good prospect. He spent most of this year at double A where he slugged 451. 
and he's only 21 years old. So I, I, I think, you know, there, there've been a lot of aggressive promotions here in September. And I think that's going to become kind of the norm moving forward based on the new draft pick incentives uh, for having a rookie. I mean, I could go through all the reasons why, but suffice it to say there are incentives now that make it. So September call-ups, it, it, it makes sense for them to be really high-end prospects. We saw aggressive promotions like Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll last September, and we've seen plenty this September. Jason Dominguez maybe being the, the, the most aggressive among them. This is pretty aggressive too, I think. And yeah, maybe the Rangers were backed into a corner with this Adolis Garcia injury. I'd be surprised if this goes well with Evan Carter, though, because... First of all, among the prospects who rate as highly as he does, there was always there was it, it was always accompanied that that ranking was always accompanied with the understanding. Okay, he 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 hasn't fully he hasn't reached his final form yet. Here, he still has strength to gain. You know, I mentioned the slugging percentage wasn't that great at Double A. The exit velocity is at Triple A. Granted, just an eight game sample. But they're horrendous. They're horrendous. I mean, and for for even the max exit velocity, 102, maybe he just didn't happen to hit a ball that hard in eight games. It, it can happen. And I don't want to read too much. And I wish I had exit velocity readings for the for double A. But uh, it, it certainly doesn't relieve my concerns about Carter and his ability to hit for power at this stage of his development. There's also an issue with him where he's so opposite field-minded that that kind of cuts into his power production too. And okay, if he learns to pull the ball more the way Josh Young did in the upper levels of the minors, then Evan Carter could reach this new level where he becomes the superstar. Draws a ton of walks, seems to have a really good approach at the play. There are things to like about Evan Carter, but is that going to translate well to the fantasy game right off the bat at age 21? I have my doubts. It's never a good idea. I mean, never a good idea. It's never a bad idea to gamble on upside if you have, the roster space, you know, if, if if you need a dose of upside here and you're not seeing it anywhere else on the waiver wire, okay, take a flyer on Carter. Maybe, maybe he does hit the ground running here, but I'm skeptical of that. And I think the position most people are in, they'll have a hard time coming up with somebody to drop for Carter. It might just be if you play in a deeper league and you lost an Adolis Garcia or maybe maybe even a Mookie Betts. Hopefully that injury is not too serious, but uh, he was seen leaving the ballpark on crutches here on Thursday. We'll talk about that in a bit, but maybe you're just in a pinch in a deeper league and you just don't really have a choice right now. So Evan Carter will be available in some of those deeper five outfielder leagues. I noticed the same thing. Really good approach. Great plate discipline. It seems like he's known more for the hit and the speed tools. Uh, Just looking at fan graphs. He grades out as a, a 45 game power, and uh, on MLB Pipeline, it's 50 on the 2080 scale. So I don't know that you know he's ever going to be like this huge power hitter, but he's he's probably especially not going to be a power hitter uh, at least from you know this call up moving forward rest of season here. 20% rostered. Mentioned he's widely available. This is Evan Carter we're talking about. I'm going to assume that you're going to rank him behind Jason Dominguez, Jordan Lawler, and Ronnie Mauricio. Not that they play the same position, but, you know, just the yeah. recent prospect promotions. I mean, the very fact Domingo – talk, Scott. The very fact that Dominguez and Mauricio have shown something already, I think, puts them ahead of, of Carter, 
given the difficult leap uh, that the minors to the majors is these days. And then Lawler as well. Yeah, I mean, the fact Lawler has, I mean, Lawler's, since the first two months, remember he, he hit 199, I think it was, over the first two months, and then you look at his minor league numbers for the season, very impressive. That's because he's been ridiculous from the start of June on, basically. I, I didn't get a chance to talk about him yesterday. Uh, but I, I, I definitely would prefer Lawler to, to Evan Carter as well. All positions being equal, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lawler can't play the outfield the way Carter does. So if you need an outfielder more, I understand. Right. But I expect I not that it's a sure thing Lawler's going to perform, but it's 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 interesting with Lawler. He 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 looks very similar to Anthony Volpe in that not a lot of raw power, not in, not particularly impressive exit velocities, but he maximizes what he has well by driving by pulling by by elevating the ball to his pull side by getting those home runs to his pull side um and then good plate discipline prolific base stealing ability make for a pretty high floor i I mean anthony volpe's season's been disappointing i would say based on what our hopes were for him coming into the year and yet he's had a 2020 season. So he's still been useful. And I think, I think this, I, I, I have the same expectation for Jordan Lawler where, okay, 21 year old, this is obviously aggressive. You know, he, it, it, he relies on a specialized skill to, to tap into his power. Maybe it's not going to go great off the bat, but as long as he's playing every day and being aggressive, like he was on the minors when he gets on base, there's still a pretty good chance. He, he makes a, a reasonable contribution. He's, I think he's 21st in my shortstop rankings right away. Okay. So obviously there are a lot of good options at that position, but, um, but yeah, get back, getting back to your original question. I would, I would be more likely to invest in Lawler than Evan Carter right now. Who would you take between Jordan Lawler and Ronnie Mauricio? Because the Welsh and I were split on that yesterday. <sighs> yeah. Understandably. Cause you know what I just said earlier, the fact Mauricio is delivering already. Obviously, it's a tiny sample. Obviously, things could change. But, you know, here on September 8th, we're not going to get much of a sample to, to base our judgments on. I think Lawler. Okay. But not for any good reason. Just because he's the better prospect, basically. Yeah, which is something I did reiterate yesterday. I said I would take Ronnie Mauricio the way he's, you know, he's off and running. He's got three steals already. He's hitting the ball extremely hard. Seems like he's going to play every day. Lawler probably should too, but uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I guess what we've seen so far in that small sample size, again, like keeper dynasty, it's very clearly Jordan Lawler is ahead of uh, Ronnie Mauricio. But again, just putting a bow on this conversation, the Rangers are promoting their top prospect, Evan Carter, on Friday to help fill in for Adolis Garcia. Let's talk about Thursday's action. Oh my good goodness gracious! All right, Scott, you get yourself the Olive Garden breadstick. Yes, sir. Ryan Pepio, perfect through seven, you said? He took a perfect game into the seven. Okay, so perfect through six. He allowed a hit in the seventh. That was the only hit he allowed. He didn't walk anybody. And that's really that's really the key for Ryan Pepio, why I've been excited about him uh, as he's been in and out of the Dodgers rotation these last few turns. By the way, has basically started on turn, not exactly every fifth turn, but 
even though he's been optioned to the minors a couple times, they keep finding ways to bring him back. And, and he's basically been on turn. Hasn't made a minor league appearance in a couple weeks. Um, but between the majors and minors this year, coming into this start where he walked zero and in seven innings, Pepio has just 1.7 walks per nine this year. That's compared to 4.4 per nine last year. Totally opposite ends of the spectrum. And the control was thought to be his major hangout. Like the reason why this guy may not pan out as a major league starter or a major leaguer at all. He always had terrific strikeout numbers in the minors. Great changeup, uh, pairs well with a great fastball, and um, you know he he looks like every time out he answers more conclusively the question of whether he's actually solved this control issue. Now. Maybe there is a trade-off here with the strikeouts because those have been a little less than stellar, a little less than I would have expected looking at his minor league career. Only three strikeouts and seven innings in this one. And so there may come a point where I do a Pepio pivot <laughs> once the Dodgers have fully integrated him into the rotation and everybody's bought into him in fantasy, and then I'll become the bad guy and say, ah, Pepio... Pepio is going to regress because not enough strikeouts. But right now, when nobody's on to him and the Dodgers seem reluctant to uh, commit to him, I am. I want a piping hot serving of Pepio. And um, I like him as a sleeper pitcher for next week. Hopefully, hopefully this is what keeps him around once and for all this between this performance and the uh, new opening in the Dodgers rotation with Julio Arias being out of the mix. Ryan Pepio widely available 40% rostered. looks like he's in line to face the Padres next week who are 19th in Woba against right-handed pitching. Scott, I've got to ask Ryan Pepio or any of these pitchers that we keep talking about recently, Jose Quintana, uh, Jordan Wicks, Kyle Harrison, Kyle Hendricks, those are, I don't know, four of the most added starting pitchers on CBS right now. Would you take Ryan Pepio over all of them? No. Uh, I would not take him over Quintana, especially with Quintana having two starts coming up next week. I would not take him over Harrison because I think Harrison's upside is just insane. And I know his last start wasn't great, but I've, I, I've been encouraged by the... Uh, how deep the Giants have been letting him work into games and how he's avoided walks in the majors uh, so far. So I would take both of those over him. And I'm kind of torn on Kyle Hendricks too. Uh, Hendricks is difficult to assess. He's always been difficult to assess. He's, he's, there, there really are no comps to H- Hendricks in baseball and haven't been for a long time. Guy succeeds with an 88-mile-per-hour fastball. And so you, you always fear it's just going to implode. But he's been so consistent and obviously has a long track record of success prior to having uh, that um, that injury he was pitching through in 2021 and 2022. Is it a shoulder capsule? Something like that. He was, he was pitching through an injury like that and finally had it surgery, surgically corrected prior to this season. And seems like he's gotten back to the must-start standing he held for like a, almost a decade prior to that. I think like seven years prior to that. So I, I, I might lean Hendricks over Pepio as well. But that doesn't mean I'm not excited for Pepio. I think those three guys I just named are rostered in all my leagues. 
Yeah, uh, just to put it in perspective, because obviously we're talking about a young, exciting pitcher who pitches for a really good team with the Dodgers. So uh, if all those other names, if, you know, Jose Quintana and Kyle Harrison and they're all gone already, then, you know, Ryan Pepio looks like uh, the next man up if you need help with your pitching staff. Let's do, uh, we'll come back to waiver wire pitchers in just a bit. Oh my goodness gracious for me, I want to talk about Tommy Pham, who had a big game here on Thursday. He went two for five with a double dong, three RBI, four hard hits in this game. The Tommy Pham special, we know he hits the ball extremely hard. 30 games with the D-backs. Pham is batting 250 with five homers, 23 RBI, six deals, and a 762 OPS. The batting average to OPS, not that impressive, but power, speed, Batting in the middle of that lineup, 23 RBI in 30 games. That's that's pretty damn impressive. Um, 37% rostered for Pham. He's got seven games next week. Uh, I like him from like a five outfielder league perspective. I don't think I would take him over any of Seiya Suzuki, Nolan Jones, Jason Dominguez. What do you think, Scott? I agree. I wouldn't take him over those three. Would you take him over Evan Carter? I would, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I was looking up here his splits against left-handers because the Diamondbacks are facing four lefties, Mm. uh, obviously subject to change, but four lefties in their seven games is what they're scheduled to face. Uh, His numbers against lefties are... mm, Yeah, he's hit for more power against them, at least. The batting average is actually lower against righties. I don't know that it's... I don't know that it makes him that attractive of a sleeper for the picket. Like he, he didn't make my 10 sleepers. I think the actual pitching matchups for the diamondbacks are a little bit tough. Um, but yeah, they have seven games. They're facing four lefties. That's maybe useful. Maybe makes fam a little more useful. Yeah. And again, with all these outfield injuries, Adolis Garcia on the IL, Jorge Soler to the IL yesterday, McCutcheon, if you played in a deeper league, we lost him too. Mookie Betts, we'll see what happens there. Uh, we, you know, we need some outfielders again. Suzuki, Nolan Jones, Jason Dominguez ahead of Tommy Pham. Then he he kind of slots in there. Um, and uh, two other names we talked about yesterday: Michael Brantley and Nelson Velasquez. I think those two are also behind Tommy Pham. What do you think, Scott? Also behind Pham. Yeah, I would take I would take Pham ahead of Brantley and Velasquez. I might take Velasquez over him. Okay. Specific, like if you need home runs specifically, I think Velasquez is a better bet. And I do have Velasquez among my 10 sleeper hitters for this upcoming week. Okay. Uh, oh my goodness gracious, want to give a shout out once again, every day. Feels like we talk about this guy, Ronald Acuna. He's unreal. Two for five with a double dong, two more homers. One of them, 115.3 miles per hour off the bat, 426 feet. He's now up to 34 homers and 63 steals on September 8th. It, it feels like he's gunning for 40 homers. At least 40. Can we get a 40-75? I kind of feel like 40-75 is going to happen, Scott. I mean, I thought 40 was a stretch, but now he's just six away. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't seem like a stretch anymore. The problem with the steals is that if he's hitting all these home runs, he just might not have an opportunity to I run. Know. I, I want him to go 40. Like, if he gets to 40, I want it to be 40-80. Ooh. But Ooh. Uh, 17 <laughs> steals, that's... That's going to take some real doing. And, you know, I, I, I have to think the Braves are going to want to rest him every now and then down the stretch. Uh, Austin Riley was finally out of the lineup here on Thursday. I think he had an illness or something, so it wasn't mm-hmm. just purely a day off. But, but even so, I mean, they, they've, they've 
Um, they've worked their guy, their their batters harder than any other team this year, and considering the lead they have in the NL East, and frankly in the the race for best record in the NL. Why wouldn't they build in a little extra rest for these guys? I'm I'm not saying they will. It's it's kind of weird that they haven't rested them at all. But Acuna started every single game. Riley had started every game before sitting out this one. Olsen has started every single game. Um yeah, that's a little that's a little unusual. Scott, he's 25 years old. <laughs> I think he he's can 25 handle years old, but like he just he had a torn ACL. Yeah, but that was two years so ago. That, come that on, that knee is older than twenty-five. Yeah, but come on, we're we're creating <laughs> history here. We don't want Ronald Acuna to sit. I don't want him. Well, I think I'm, you're talking from like a Braves because fan I'm a Braves fan. <laughs> I may I may actually want him to sit a little, but if right. I wasn't a Braves fan and that wasn't part of my thinking at all, then I wouldn't want him to sit either. I'm just trying to be realistic. Like what? What will the Braves do versus what what they should do? Those aren't the same question either. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, quickly run through what happened with Mookie Betts. He fouled the ball off of his foot. And as I mentioned earlier, he was seen leaving. I think it's Marlins Park they're playing at right now uh, on crutches. And x-rays came back negative. But, you know, anytime a superstar is on crutches, it's, you know, kind of sound the alarms a little bit. So we'll have an update on Friday, hopefully. And my guess is he'll... Probably sit out at least a couple of games, but hopefully doesn't require an IL stint. He's mm. just been tremendous in the second half of the season. So uh, not this way. Please don't let it happen this way. No. I mean, that could change the shape of the MVP race because I've said before, yeah. I thought I thought Betts had passed Acuna for that. Uh, not that it wasn't close, and, and obviously an IL stint for either one of them could, could basically decide it. Of course, you know, it's a fantasy show, obviously, and people uh, that could decide some play that could decide some fantasy leagues as well. If if Betts is suddenly removed, given how insane he's been in the second half, uh, there are other injuries than broken bones. You know, a, a bad enough bruise could put him on the IL for sure. So fingers crossed, it doesn't. Fingers crossed, indeed. Let's take our first break, and when we return, we'll get back into those waiver wire pitchers. An early look at a 2024 mock draft. We'll do that right after this. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today. And before we talk about those waiver wire pitchers, Scott, I did just have a quick question, something I noticed on Twitter. Why do you hate Justin Steele? (laughs) (laughs) I had to do it. Uh, No, you didn't. You didn't have to do that. (laughs) No, I've been, uh, it's true, I've been feuding with Cubs fans on Twitter all day, unfortunately. And I didn't even, like, I didn't even bring up Justin Steele. I just pointed out that, like the winner of the NL Cy Young race. I think I described it as, is this going to be the saddest Cy Young winner? Is it in the discussion for saddest Cy Young winner ever? And I, yeah, I was just kind of looking to start a conversation and basically people pointed out that a lot of the, the Cy Young winners in the eighties, which of course was before my time were relievers or just, you know, because because the, the idea of bullpen specialization was so new in the 80s, and I think the numbers that came with that, the writers didn't really know what to make of them. So they awarded a lot of Cy Youngs to relievers in the 80s that today are like, what were they thinking? <laughs> so, uh, th- so those would be among the worst Cy Young winners ever. Um, and, of course, Bartolo Colon in was it 2005, Rick Porcello a few years ago when he beat out Justin Verlander. Yeah. Um, they're they're all in the discussion. There are others in the discussion, but none of the contenders. Now, if if we're if we're assuming that Spencer Strider's performance on Wednesday takes him out of the running, and I am, I think he needed an awesome September to get that ERA in the low threes to have an honest chance at the Cy Young Award. So, if we're assuming Spencer Strider's out of the running, everybody left in the NL Cy Young race just doesn't have what we've come to think of as Cy Young caliber numbers, and I'll actually lay them out for you. So the average stats for the last 24 Cy Young winners, AL and NL, including 2020, last 24, 235 ERA, 0.95 whip, 10.2K per nine, 203 innings. Justin Steele's numbers this year, 255 ERA, up 20 points from the average. 114 whip up about 20 points from the average uh, 9.1 K per nine down about a strikeout per inning from the average. Um, and then 152 innings and maybe he gets to 180, but he's going to be well below the usual inning standard as well. Uh, now that like, is he the best pitcher in the NL? He may be, but my comment is not that like, Spencer Strider in this pool doesn't deserve to win Cy Young. It's just that this pool seems like kind of a weak pool, doesn't it? And that may have something to do with the rule changes that have been instituted. In retrospect, it may just be that a paradigm shift has happened here and all the Cy Young uh, races in the future will look like this. But I obviously can't compare what I'm seeing now to the future. I can only compare it to the past. So that is... That is where I stand on the Cy Young race in the NL. And to relate this back to fantasy, this was actually something I noticed even before I was making comments on the NL Cy Young race. The fantasy point per game breakdown. We did bring this up on yesterday's podcast, by the way. It oh, was, so you and the Welsh talked about it. You, yeah. you, you, you saw my tweets, Frank. It was um, a great I, tweet. Yeah, we brought it up. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Last year, there were five pitchers with 19 or more fantasy points per game. This year, there are zero. There was one, Strider, before, <laughs> uh, before the implosion Wednesday. 
Last year, there were 17 pitchers with 17 to 18 points per game in fantasy. This year, there are five rather than 17. Last year, there were 48 pitchers with 12 to 16 points per game. This year, there are 66. That's the glob, basically. I said it's about 60 pitchers. It's 66 pitchers, 12 to 16 points, and only five with more than that. If Tyler Anderson had his 2022 season in 2023, he would be the fourth best pitcher in head-to-head points per game. That is the state of pitching in fantasy baseball, and we see it reflected in the Cy Young race. I can't disagree with you. I I think Justin Steele has had a fine season. I think he's worthy of winning the Cy Young given the top candidates, I guess you could say. Uh, Just to put a bow on this conversation, I guess. Cubs fans, take it easy on Scott, man. Like, there's no reason to be <laughs> so... Investigate the entire fan base, but they... Like, yeah, well, look, I'm not going to generalize. Crossed, it's I've not... crossed Cubs Twitter a couple times, and there is a <laughs> there is a different level of viciousness that uh, comes with that. Yeah, it's, and I'm not generalizing. It's not all Cubs fans, but for the Cubs fans that are currently attacking Scott White, it's like... Yeah, they don't, they don't listen to the show. Yeah, anymore. probably not. Um, it's just like that, that can lead me down a whole nother conversation where I'm not going to tell fans how to root for your team, but my suggestion would be you don't have to be so, I don't know, I guess defensive would be the word or as aggressive, you know, like there are, you're going to be all right, man. Even if Justin Steele doesn't win the Cy Young, you will be all right. I guarantee that. And I wasn't even arguing for him not to win the Cy Young. I didn't even bring him up again. Like, there weren't Padres fans being like, ah, Blake Snell. There weren't Diamondbacks fans like Zach Gallen. Ah. It's just some fans of teams, they just lose all rational thought or just the ability to think about anything clearly yeah. when they're, like, so blinded by their team's colors. And I get it. Like, I'm a huge sports fan. I love the Yankees. I love the Knicks. I love the Jets, right? Like... I'm not going to defend every single move that those franchises do just for the sake of it, right? Like, you, you got to still kind of use some kind of rational thought. So, whatever. I guess that's our, uh, I don't know, TED Talk of the day. Let's call <laughs> that's it That's our whining, <laughs> whining about Twitter. Do we do that too much? Do we whine about Twitter too much? We might, but like, it's... The thing, like, the that's thing Twitter. Is, the thing, because we're in media, so we're on X. Twitter all, all the time. X, whatever. <laughs> we're on Twitter all the time. And so, like, it, it really shapes our perspective of the world in a way, like, what percentage of the population is actually on Twitter? Like, 10% or something? Like, I, I, I mentioned to my wife something that happened on Twitter, and her eyes just glaze over because, like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter to, to most people. Right, yeah. Like, the other day, my wife asked me, she's like, what's wrong? I'm just like, oh, well, people just annoying me on Twitter, <laughs> you know, the usual stuff. So. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. I, you know, I probably shouldn't have even done that because I do want to talk about this early mock draft. Anyway, waiver wire pitchers will quickly quickly run through these names. Ryan Pepio is at the top of the list from Thursday. Three other names that uh, I don't know. Javier Assad didn't even pitch well, but I put him in this on this list anyway. Zach Littell, uh back on track here. The longest start of his career: eight innings, one run, four strikeouts against the Seattle Mariners. Cal Quantrill. Uh, Back-to-back quality starts since returning from the IL. Six shutout innings with six strikeouts at the Angels. And has changed his pitch mix. He's throwing more curveballs, more splitters, getting a few more whiffs. It might matter, I guess, for Cal Quantrill. And then Javier Assad wasn't great. Five and a third innings, three runs, one walk, zero strikeouts, 14 hard hits in this game. It's got any enthusiasm for Zach Littell, Cal Quantrill, Javier Assad? Not... Really? 
I mean, this was, this was the last few Thursdays, the schedule has been so light, you know, it, it feels like, that's why we have, like to, we have nothing. We feels like we have nothing to talk about, but Twitter feuds. Uh, <laughs> Basically. Um, Assad obviously was on a nice run, a hundred, uh, a one ninety five ERA in his previous six starts. And in his last two, he had got seven strikeouts in each. So it seemed like, Oh, maybe the strikeouts are picking up, but, um, this took the air out of the balloon pretty quickly, getting zero strikeouts in five and a third innings and not turning in a very good stat line. Uh, Littell, you know, he, we could have we could have had him as an oh my goodness gracious player with this eight inning performance against the Mariners, four strikeouts in eight innings, seven swinging strikes. Uh, you know, his previous couple starts were pretty bad. I thought I had the numbers right here. I have They're them. bad. Previous yeah. three starts, a 675 ERA, 138 whip for Zach Littell. He throws a lot of strikes, but all his ERA estimators are over four. And I'm not saying he can't be used with the right matchups. I know he has two starts coming up next week. And I did move him up in my two-star rankings from the, the one I sent you. But still not, still not in a range that where I'd recommend Zach Littell on any level. Okay. Uh, does this matter in very oh, deep? Oh, Quantrill. Quantrill. Yes, Quantrill might be the most interesting because in two starts since returning from the IL, he's given up a combined two earned runs in 12 innings, only five hits allowed in those 12 innings. And um, I, I, I don't see a lot to like in the underlying numbers for Cal Quantrill, but of course there, there's never been a lot to like in the underlying numbers for Cal Quantrill. And prior to this year, you know, 21 and 20, in 2021, 2022, Cal Quantrill had a combined 316 ERA. So he had a two-year stretch where I couldn't figure out why he was pitching well, but he pitched well. Was what he was doing prior to this injury in ERA over six, was that the regression all hitting finally? Or you know, was he not totally feeling right? And now he's back after an IL stint and he, he's pitching like Cal Quantrill again. I think it's September. I'd be reluctant to put him in my lineup anywhere. But uh, it bears watching. Maybe maybe he'll make an appearance on my 10 sleeper pitchers at some point in the final two weeks, but not in week 25. Okay, again, that is Cal Quantrill. Does this name matter in very deep leagues? Ryan Nelson pitched well in his return to the D-backs rotation. He was at the Cubs, five and two-thirds innings, one run, three strikeouts, only three swinging strikes in this one. Fastball velocity was down 1.2 miles per hour. There was a report the other day that Ryan Nelson uh, has improved his slider during his work in the minors. His numbers down there were okay, not really getting many strikeouts at all. Any interest, Scott, in the deepest of leagues? Ryan Nelson? I mean, you made such a good case. <laughs> I no. tried. All right, let's talk about Carlos Rodon then. Uh, very quickly, fire up the drop meter for good old Carlos Rodon. He had looked solid since returning from the IL before this start. And then he faced the Tigers, which should be a solid matchup. And uh, he goes three and two-thirds innings, eight hits allowed, seven runs allowed, four strikeouts to zero walks. He still had the swinging strikes, 13 on 73 pitches, but tons of hard contact, 95.5 average exit velocity. The velocity was down overall in this start. He's still 93% rostered. He's in line for two stars six week at the Red Sox, at the Pirates. But I'm not even asking about starting, Scott. I'm asking about dropping. One to ten, Carlos Rodon on the dropometer. Well, to answer the question you're not asking, I don't have him as a starter next week, even when he's in line for two starts, which may influence the question you actually 
are asking, if you're not going to use him in what may be his final two-start week of the season, I'm not saying he's must-drop. I'm not going to put him 10 on the drop-o-meter, but like seven? Would you drop him for Jose Quintana? Yes. Would you drop him for Kyle Harrison? Yes, if I had to. I mean, it is kind of the same case I was making for Dylan Cease a couple days ago where if he does come around, do you really want to be burned by the guy you dropped in Carlos Rodon? I mean, we know what the upside is, but you know, Cease has, <laughs> Cease has shown signs of being that pitcher still this year and Rodon hasn't. So it's, I think it's even easier to drop Rodon. And, and I actually am recommending Cease for his stu- two starts this upcoming week, unlike Rodon. Mm, okay, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We're finally here. Let's talk about it. Our way too early 2024 mock draft this is a 15 team standard five by five Roto League with other Tout Wars participants. We're drafting the first six rounds. So obviously not going too deep and a ton of things are going to change this offseason. I realize that this exercise is crazy what we're attempting to pull off here, but it kind of gets the wheels turning a little bit for next season. We're about three and a half rounds in, and what I'm going to do right now is, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll pull up the first three rounds, the draft board here, and uh, I know it's a little, it's kind of tough to see the draft board, but bear with us. You can try and zoom in and and look at the players there, Uh, but yes, if you're watching on YouTube, you can follow along. Let's run through the first round again. I'm sure a bunch will change, and let's not be too harsh here, uh, Scott, on the participants. Uh, I'm so good at it, though. Uh, first five picks of this draft. <laughs> the number one, obviously, Ronald Acuna, followed up by Julio Rodriguez, Corbin Carroll, Bobby Witt Jr., and Spencer Strider. Any immediate thoughts? Well, immediately, this looks way different from the other early mock draft we've seen. Uh, and I think... That other draft, by the way, Scott, is a draft that they are playing out. It's not a mock draft, so... They like okay. they draft the first seven rounds now and then they pick it up in the offseason. To whatever extent that matters. But I think what it speaks to, and I certainly feel this way as, as well, is nobody really knows what to do after Acuna, number one. Uh, and I Chris was making Chris Towers was making this case on Twitter, kind of reacting to a, a, a little TikTok you put together on our Fernando Tatis conversation the other day. That's why he's probably just going to take Fernando Tatis. And and there's certainly a case for that. Tatis went tenth. In this mock draft, I'm thinking, okay, I don't know that I'll go as high as second on Tatis because Mookie Betts is out there. Betts went eighth in this mock draft. So, like, there's probably about 10 players you could make a case for being second overall. And um, that means um, unless you can get the first overall pick, you probably don't want an especially high pick, I would say. Uh, Also, Strider going this high, fifth overall. I think we also have. I think we have to keep in mind this is a 15-team draft, and of course, our audience. We we normally cater to a 12-team league audience because the 15-team audience is tiny. the The 10-team audience is much bigger than the 15-team audience. It, it does make a difference when it comes to uh, how quickly positions deplete in a 15-team league. Pitcher can get pretty scary. Like there's there's basically never a good pitcher on the waiver wire, so I can understand Strider getting pushed up in a 15 team draft the way he maybe shouldn't in a 12 team league. But you know, if the industry consensus is geared toward 15 team leagues, then he's going to be probably ranked that high and go even that early in the 12 team leagues. It's just interesting to see. By the way, he was number two in that other mock draft I was referring to, which wasn't actually a mock draft. You were saying, but <laughs> right. fifth in this one, which maybe seems high. 
he was second behind Acuna in that other one. Yep. But he's not going to be in all Cy Young. Mm, no, because of the inflated ERA. But obviously, yeah. if we we had this discussion yesterday, Scott, a whole we went down a rabbit hole of like Tyler Glass now and Spencer Strider basically being in a category of their own right now in terms of skills. And clearly, I stand by that. Um, but we'll talk about that in just yeah, a bit. I, I, well, I, and in defense of Strider just being the number one pitcher next year, even though the ERA is high, I think if I am going to invest early in a pitcher, I got to get strikeouts from him. I, I, I think that's the clearest way. Those, I, I think that's the only worthwhile way to distinguish a starting pitcher from the glob because the glob is so big. All but five pitchers this year, basically. I'd been saying a couple dozen. It's really more like all but five. It, only, only five pitchers are above the glob. Um, strikeouts. You need to get strikeouts if you're going to reach for a pitcher, and nobody does that better than Strider, obviously. Correct. Uh, picks six through ten in this. Early 2024 mock draft, Kyle Tucker, Jose Ramirez, Mookie Betts, Aaron Judge, and Fernando Tatis. Again, I agree. I think there's an argument Betts and Tatis probably still could be top five, top six picks. I think maybe it's a touch early for Jose Ramirez. He's still having a fine year, but it kind of feels like we're starting to go down the other side of the mountain here with uh, Jose Ramirez, but I don't think there's anything egregious. Yeah, I mean, he's had a 2020 season already. Not that that means what he used to, but it's still not something you'll find much of at third base. And and that may speak to the difference between a 15-team league and a 12-team league, too. Going Having to go 15 deep at third base in your league might make it scarcer than a league where you don't have to go that deep. But it is really hard to justify him over Betts, I would say, especially since Betts is going to be eligible at outfield and second base, maybe shortstop. I don't know. It depends how this foot goes. But he could still he could still come away with shortstop eligibility for next year. Um, potentially, and Judge as well, and Tatis as well. Yeah, all three of them behind Ramirez. I agree. They can't, r- r- no matter what your perception of third base is for next year, you can't have them ahead of those three guys. All right, picks 11 through 15, Juan Soto, and followed by Freddie Freeman, who went to me, 12th pick in this draft, and it's just like, really, we're doing this again? Freddie Freeman at 12? I mean, it just feels like he should... Go no yeah. later than like a top eight pick, I would say, but here we yeah, are. Yeah, he's going to be top five for me, for sure. Yep. Uh, and then after Soto and Freeman, Garrett Cole at 13, followed by Shohei Otani, the hitter. Still have a whole offseason to kind of figure out what's going to happen with Otani. And then uh, Matt Olson. I, I thought this was a, a pretty interesting group rounding out the the top 15. I I get why Matt Olson is kind of in this area. I I don't think I would do it, but... That power, the power and the RBIs and just like all the counting stats is pretty enticing. I mean, the pick I like least here, well, the pick I like least is Otani just because I think he's going to have Tommy John surgery and not be ready to pitch or hit at the start of next year, which will make him not worth a first round pick. Uh, But leaving that aside, the pick I like least here is Soto. I don't, I don't think I can do the Soto in round one thing again. I, I, he has first round upside. I, I, Given how young he is and how good the data is for him, I think we'll still see him have years where he hits well over 300 in the future. I still think he has an MVP or t- award or two in him. But I can't, I can't do the rose-colored glasses thing with him for a third straight season, especially given the other really good hitters available in the same range. Freeman... 
I, I mean, I think I'm going to take Matt Olson over him. Matt Lana, baby. I think I'm going to take Matt Olson over Soto next year. And I'll be fine taking Soto in round two if, if he lasts to the to my pick then. But um, but no, I can't justify him. Certainly not over Freeman, not over Olsen, not over Corey Seager, who's the first pick in round two paired with Olsen. That's a, that's a nice way to start the draft, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I do want to mention part of the reason I don't like Freeman as low as 12, part of the reason I do like Olsen as high as 15th is because first base. I and mean, we saw we saw that was a position where um, it was harder to keep up than we thought. All right, well, my team through four rounds is quickly run through this. Uh, I got Freddie Freeman at the 12th overall pick. This, I mentioned yesterday, it's it's not going to happen. This is probably the lowest you're going to see him go. I got Jordan Alvarez at amazing. 19th overall, the fourth pick of the second round. So I think I'd rather have him than Soto. <laughs> I think so, too. And then, you know, this was kind of the first pick it for me where... I didn't really have a player I loved at this pick, and it kind of felt like that there was an elite tier of of hitters that kind of just kind of dried up. And uh, so with my third pick, I took Tyler Glass now, and we spoke extensively about him yesterday. That's the 12th pick of round three, 42nd overall. He was the ninth starting pitcher off the board. And again, I, I think from a skills perspective, him and, well, obviously you could argue Jacob DeGrom, but we're not going to see DeGrom for a while. But Glass now and Spencer Strider are in a class of their own right now. Swinging strikes, strikeouts, K-minus walk rate, underlying numbers, FIP, XFIP, anything you want to look at. Those two are in a category of their own. So I get there's a lot of injury risk, but I think he's uh, worthy of that pick. And then I took Manny Machado in the fourth round. That's 49th overall. I think overall it's a, it's a pretty boring start, Scott. I don't have many steals, but I'm, I'm looking at a few players in rounds five and six that I, I think could help make up some of that speed I mean, deficiency. Manny Machado in round four feels like robbery too i understand he's let us down this year but he's so young still and obviously has the track record he does i I think i think this season will go down as an aberration and so if if we're able to get him that late next year i'm going to be very much in on that uh and when you know i say round four in a 15 team league that 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 might be more like round five and a 12 teamer yeah i think that's I, i think your point about glass now is is well taken. I'm, I'm definitely, and this kind of goes back into the idea of how many pitchers are in the glob and, and what it takes to distinguish yourself from the glob in this current pitching slash hitting environment. I'm, I'm going to be really all about skills again at starting pitcher moving forward, which is how I started out my fantasy career back when not that many people were about skills. They were basically just about last year's numbers and it worked well for me, but then everybody kind of got up, caught up to it. So I tried to find market inefficiencies having to do with workload, which I still think is important. But because of, again, because we're in an environment now where pitchers are having an even harder time distinguishing themselves, you got to go for the skills and just let the workload work itself out. I don't know if Glass now specifically is somebody I'm going to target if he goes this early, but I understand why he would be going this early given the the emphasis I know I'm going to have on skills and maybe everybody else is too. I've got five names that I think are interesting players and quickly I'm just going to read off where they went and you give me a two-word answer, Scott. Too high, too low, or just right. Corey Seager went 16th overall. Too low. Trey Turner, the very next pick, 17th overall. Just right. Ellie De La Cruz, 25th overall. Too high. 
Gunnar Henderson, 35th overall. Too high. Edwin Diaz, the first closer off the board, 43rd overall. Too high. All right, let's take our final break. And when we return, we'll quickly run through the news and notes. And we've got our week 25 preview here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today. little fun there. Uh, early look at 2024. But let's talk news and notes. Shohei Otani has missed four straight with that oblique injury. He did make progress on Thursday as he was spotted running in the outfield and also swung a bat for the first time since Sunday. Sounds like he could be back in a day or two. That's according to manager Phil Nevin. Trey Turner has been activated off the paternity list. Corbin Carroll was back in the lineup after getting hit by a pitch on his right wrist on Wednesday. So that's obviously great news. Luis Renjifo exited Thursday with a strained left bicep. He was replaced by Randall Gritchick, who was once again placed on waivers. Poor guy. Alex Cobb is not expected to start this weekend as he's dealing with a left hip impingement. Marcus Stroman threw a 29-pitch live batting practice session Thursday and appears to be nearing a minor league rehab assignment. Nestor Cortez is not expected to return to game action this season. He went back on the IL August 11th with a left rotator cuff strain. Matt Manning was placed in the IL with a right foot fracture. The Padres are expected to promote infield prospect Igai Rosario on Friday. He's 24 years old, smaller guy at five foot seven, but he he packs a punch this season in the minors, batting 283. Six homers, four steals, and just 45 games. Scott, anything here with uh, Igai Rosario? It would have to be, I don't know, NL-only leagues, I guess? Yeah, it would have to be very, very deep league. All right. Jerickson Profar is also expected to join the Padres on Friday. He signed a minor league deal with them on September 1st. And Anthony Rendon has been hitting off a tee and running on a treadmill. He's been out since July 14th due to a bone bruise in his left shin. Let's preview week 25, and we'll start with the schedule. We've got loads of games next week. 18 teams with seven games, 12 teams with six games, zero teams with five games next week, thankfully. Uh, As for the Rockies, 
They have seven home games next week, three against the Cubs, four against the Giants. So I think all three of those teams are in play. They're hitters. Rockies, Cubs, Giants for next week. Starters sit these fringe two-star pitchers, and we will begin with Dylan Cease, who's facing the Royals and the Twins. Those are good matchups. I mean, the Royals, obviously, the Twins are the most strikeout, one of the most strikeout-prone teams in history. And Cease, that's that's something he's still good at, is getting strikeouts. So I actually have him pretty high in my two-star pitcher ranking. Not in the must-start tier, but just below at 13th overall. I'm going to run him out there. Maybe the last, if it, if it goes poorly, it may be the last time we run him out there, but I'm going to do it. Clayton Kershaw dealing with that shoulder injury. The velocity has been down. He's facing the Padres and at the Mariners. Yeah, I think, I, I, I don't think he's a must start moving forward, but I think with two starts, probably got to do it. Alex Cobb, assuming he starts early next week. Again, he's not starting this weekend. They're probably just going to push him back a little bit. The Giants, the Giants rotation is just a guessing game every week. Like it's, yeah. it's all TBAs. If, I think Cobb is going to, I think he got pushed back to, to to start Monday, and so I have him slotted here as a two-star pitcher, but not, not with a lot of conviction. Okay, yeah, he's facing the Guardians, and he's in Coors Field, so pretty scary yep. there for uh, Alex Cobb. Which Bra- leagues I do it, but that's it. Braxton Garrett is at the Brewers and home against the Braves. Yikes. Uh, yeah, I mean, one good matchup, one bad matchup. Uh, I, I, I thought he'd be a fine points league play, and then his start Thursday here didn't go well. He didn't make it through four innings, but he had been consistently going six before then and just doing a good job of limiting damage. I think he's still fine in points leagues, but not a high priority. Carlos Rodon, no, he stinks. Move on. Nathan Avaldi at the Blue Jays and at the Guardians. I mean, I can't trust him after the way his first start off the IL went. I, I think that's too dangerous. Jordan Wicks has pitched well, but he's in Coors Field and at the Diamondbacks. And have, there haven't been many strikeouts the last two starts after he got nine, I think, in that first one, right? So uh, I'm I'm skeptical of Wicks even before you get into the matchups. Taiwan Walker is home against the Braves and at the Cardinals. No, thanks. And James Paxton is home against the Yankees and at the Blue Jays. Not with the way he's been going lately. All right. Well, that means you might need two-star pitchers to add off the waiver wire and stream for next week. You've got eight names on the list. Who are they? I do. It's mostly two-star options since there's 44 of those this week. It's been we've been having light two-star slates in recent weeks, but this one, this one's a heavy one. Jose Quintana is the best, still available in more than half of the CBS. He's going against the Diamondbacks and the Reds, middling matchups, but he's been a quality star machine. So I, I think pretty easy to recommend in a two-star week. Dean Kramer, Cardinals and Rays. He's actually been pretty consistent here. It was it was a short outing last time out, but it was still, you know, he still did a good job of limiting damage and has been better than a random number generator recently. It could all go belly up, but I, I think with two starts, you got to stick with Dean Kramer. Gavin Williams had those back-to-back double-digit strikeout efforts in August and then has gone really quiet here. I don't think he's had a six-inning start since. But with two starts at San Francisco versus Texas, uh, I still think he's a pretty good play. Edward Cabrera coming off that sensational performance against the Dodgers, albeit in relief, and, and so I can't say for sure he's actually going to start these two games, but his turn should come up twice at Milwaukee 
Really good matchup. Versus Atlanta, not such a great matchup. But again, he just carved up the Dodgers lineup. So I think he's an interesting play. Only 39% rostered. Kyle Gibson gets the Cardinals and Rays. Those matchups could be better, but there's two starts from a guy whose good starts have been really good. Probably just a points league play, though. Hyunjin Ryu against the Rangers and Red Sox. Not great matchups, obviously, but he's been very steady since coming off the IL. Has yet to go six innings. I think that's still just a points league play. Reed Detmers at Seattle versus the Tigers. It's really just the matchups are so good. And he he is coming off a start where he limited damage. Okay. Pretty scared of that one, Reed Detmers, but um, the matchups are pretty alluring. Uh, at Clark Schmidt, the last of the two start options to highlight here. He's at Boston, at Pittsburgh. We're, we're near the bottom here of the sleeper recommendations. I don't love Clark Schmidt, but I think if you're, you know, if you have to dig this deep, he's he's been he's been okay more often than not recently. All right, and then the single star streamers we mentioned Ryan Pepio earlier. He's facing the Padres. And Logan Allen, who is at the Giants. Mostly because, mostly Allen's here because the Giants have the third lowest OPS against lefties. Okay. The best hitter matchups for next week, the Rockies, Giants, Cubs, Yankees, and Twins. The worst hitter matchups, Angels, Dodgers, A's, Guardians, and the Nationals. With that being said, Scott, your favorite sleeper hitters for week 25. So there are actually a lot of great sleeper hitters for week 25, more than I could fit into a list of 10. Uh, It was tough to narrow down. The obvious one, well, so first of all, Rockies, Giants, Cubs, they are far and away the best three hitter matchups for this week because the Rockies are home all week. The Giants and Cubs are the two teams visiting them. Seiya Suzuki, with those matchups, with the role he's been on, just start him. I don't care what format you're in. Nolan Jones, because he gets those seven games in Coors Field. I think he's close to a must-start anyway. Somehow he's available in a third of CBS League still. Uh, but he's a great play this week. Jason Dominguez, who the Yankees have the fourth-best matchups, as you mentioned, and obviously he's off to a nice start in his career, getting to play every day about third. I think it's a good time to put him in your lineup. Uh, Charlie Blackman, great numbers at home in Coors Field, and he has a full home slate, as I've already mentioned. Brian Hayes, Pirates matchups, they weren't mentioned among the best five, but they're also really good. They're facing the Nationals for four games and the Yankees for three, so good time to start Brian Hayes. Obviously, he's been hot um, since the start of August. Uh, the Giants were the other team visiting Coors Field, so I think Wilmer Flores is the best play from their lineup, especially since they're scheduled to face three lefties. The Brewers have good matchups. Only one lefty on the schedule, so it's a good time to use Sal Freelich. The Twins, you mentioned, have the fifth best matchups. Zero lefties on the schedule. That's great. That, that, there's no better lineup than zero. That, there's no lineup that benefits more from zero lefties than the Twins. Edward Julian, Matt Walner has great numbers against lefties. Against righties. Or righties. Um, he didn't make the top 10 here, but Max Kepler is a quality play with all those righties on the schedule. Uh, and of course, Royce Lewis. I, he's 79% rostered. He technically could have made the cut, but it just felt too easy. So I don't have him in the top 10, but Royce Lewis is a great play as well. Not because of the righties, but just because he's amazing. 
Uh, and then finally, Nelson Velasquez, who we mentioned earlier. Only 8% roster in fantasy. He's been crushing the ball with the Royals and has actually done a good job keeping the strikeouts under control, too. Yeah, I like Nelson uh, Velasquez. I was about to say Nelson Cruz for some reason. He's kind of <laughs> Nelson Cruz-like, isn't he? Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's hope, hope he is for the rest <laughs> of the season. Let's wrap up with some leftovers here. Let's talk about some pitching performances. Luis Castillo, another scoreless outing at Tampa Bay. He went six shutout, four hits, four walks, eight strikeouts for him. Eduardo Rodriguez turned in a quality start at the Yankees. Six innings, three runs, four strikeouts. The control has taken a step back in the second half. He has three-plus walks in four of his last eight starts. Again, that's Edward Ed, Eduardo Rodriguez. And Max Freed, a quality start against the Cardinals. Six innings, three runs, four strikeouts for him. Scott, anything to add on Freed, Erod, and Castillo? Not really. I'd move Freed up to 11th in my rest of season rankings based on the way his last couple turns went, and then it seemed like he took a step back here. But as I said, other than five pitchers, uh, it's all pretty gloppy. So it's, I don't know that I'm inclined to move him back down. Obviously, he's a must start rest of season. Yep. Hitting leftover is Spencer Torkelson, two for four with a double dong. He's now up to 27 home runs on the year. And since August 1st, 34 games, Torkelson is batting 254 with 12 home runs. Uh huh. Yeah. He seems to have. He seems to have rounded into form. I don't know. Maybe first base isn't so weak. I, I kind of, as I was saying that earlier when we were talking about the the, the mock draft um, and where Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson went, I started to think, you know, that was really more of a mid-season storyline, first base being weak. Since then, Cody Bellinger's been added to the position. Bryce Harper's been added to the position. Spencer Torkelson has found his form. Tristan Casas has found his form. Yeah. Uh, maybe... Maybe saying first base is weak is really not the take for 2024, but I'd certainly rather have Freddie Freeman there than Torkelson, even if Torkelson is is showing signs of being startable now. Glaber Torres went two for three with his 25th home run. It's been a pretty complete season for him. 275 batting average, also has 13 steals. He is a top second, uh, top eight second baseman in both formats, head-to-head points and roto this season. Tommy Edmond went two for four with three RBI, and in 33 games since returning from the IL, he's batting 274 with five homers and nine steals. Now that is more of the Tommy Edmond that we were expecting. Matt Olson went two for three with his league-leading 47th home run, and Cattell Marte is heating back up his last 15 games, batting 327 with three homers and a 10.33 OPS. A quick question on Sean Murphy. We've received some questions about him recently. He has struggled massively in the second half. He's batting 178, three homers, a 643 OPS. He's been sitting out quite a bit. He's only uh, he's only started six of the last 11 games for the Braves. Scott, in a one-catcher league, dare I ask, would you drop Sean Murphy for somebody like Mitch Garver? I didn't move Garver ahead of Murphy when I updated my rest-of-season rankings yesterday. I think they're two spots apart. It's certainly justifiable. I wouldn't blame anybody for doing that. Yeah. Uh, I know at some point, I don't remember I don't remember exactly when it was, but Sean Murphy got whacked in the head. You can't help but wonder if he didn't he didn't miss any time for it, which is why I can't find the date when it happened, but you wonder if that might if they, if maybe he 
kind of like what happened with Anthony Rizzo. I mean, hopefully, hopefully there's nothing going on like that with Sean Murphy. But yeah. at the time, it occurred to me, oh, are they sure there's nothing wrong there? And and now he's having this awful performance. It doesn't help that he sits as often as he does, and that's been going on all year, at least all year all, for for the the times of the year that Travis Darno has been healthy. I think uh, I think Brian Snitker feels a lot of loyalty to Darno since he started every game of their World Series run a couple years ago. Um, but yeah, the playing time, it, it turns out the playing time, the concern everybody had for Murphy coming into the year has been a real issue. And the overall performance has been enough to overcome it, but recently not so much. Yeah, it's been frustrating. As someone who has Sean Murphy in multiple leagues, I have him in two catcher leagues, so obviously I'm not doing anything there, but... In a one-catcher league, I, I think you can consider it here down the stretch. Call to the bullpen, a few updates. For the Mariners, Andres Munoz struck out two for his 12th save. For the D-backs, Paul Sewald entered with two outs in the ninth, two runners on, and a four-run lead. He got the final out for his 31st save. And for the Guardians, Emmanuel Class A got the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up two runs, took his league-leading 10th blown save and his eighth loss of the year. This would be a fun thing to look up, Scott. I don't I don't know how to look it up. Someone smarter out there, let me know. When has this ever happened? A reliever lead baseball in saves and also lead baseball in blown saves. It's probably happened, but Yeah, I'm it sounds I feel kind of, confident it's happened. It sounds kind of crazy though, doesn't it? Like 38 saves for class A, but also 10 blown saves. That's a lot. Well, the more save opportunities are available to you, the more you're gonna blow stands to reason and if if you're if you're a not lights out reliever which i I don't think class a has been a lights out reliever this year no but you're the closer on a team that wins a lot of low scoring games which the guardians do it's it it certainly could happen i i think i remember it happening before Maybe more than once. I, I can't think of an example, but I, I think it's happened. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream. And we will start with Friday where we do have some interesting options here. I think Christopher Sanchez against the Marlins. Um, Kyle Harrison against the Rockies. That game is in San Francisco. Yep. High risk, high reward. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just run through some of the names, Scott. You tell me if you like any of these. Mike Clevenger at the Tigers. Reese Olsen against the White Sox. We have Emmett Sheehan at the Nationals. Uh, Paul Blackburn at the Rangers. Logan Allen at the Angels. Maybe with no Otani. Griffin Canning versus the Guardians. There, there are some names. Yeah, if you're asking me to pick my three favorite for Friday, it would be Kyle Harrison one. Griffin Canning to Christopher Sanchez three. All right. On Saturday, we are looking at Brian Wu at Tampa Bay. Maybe Michael King versus the Brewers. Wade Miley on the other side of that start at the Yankees. It's not a great day. Not a great day. I might roll the dice on King if I'm forced to pick somebody from Saturday. He did go five innings last time, I believe. Maybe he's going to. Maybe he's going to give you a quality start this time. All right. And then on Sunday, looking at Ranger Suarez versus the Marlins and uh, Kyle uh, Hendricks versus the D-backs. I think that's fine. Yeah. I don't know that there's a third that I feel great about. Miles Michaelis at the Reds, maybe. 
Uh, Brandon Fott's last start against the Rockies was bad, so I don't think I could trust him at the Cubs. I'm kind of interested in Tyler McGill at the Twins. It's just the Twins is like it's... It's so hit or miss, though, because they hit the ball hard, but they also swing and miss a lot. Yeah, so you're either going to get like a nine strikeout day or a four homer day, as happened (laughs) to somebody recently. Um, No, I mean, the only ones I really feel comfortable recommending are Hendricks against the Diamondbacks, Suarez against the Marlins. If you're going to force me to pick a third, though, I'll say McGill at Minnesota. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.